Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Happy Easter. He is alive. He is risen. We serve a living Savior today. And church, it is so good to uh, be with you, to be seen by you today. Uh, Please let me remind you that uh, we are the church, not because we uh, gather in a building. Uh, We are the church because we are joined to the resurrected Jesus Christ. We are the church because we are indwelt with the Spirit of God. We are the church because we are called on this incredible mission that Jesus has called us upon. So during this time that uh, we we are forced to be uh, away from each other, at least in presence, we are not in spirit, and uh, all the things that make us the people of God are still absolutely true this morning. So be, be rejoicing today that He is alive. Thank you so much for your work this week. Uh, man, I, I tell you, the, the event at the hospital, in the hospital parking lot Wednesday, uh, bless my heart. So good to see you, even if you're in your cars, and uh, so good to be praying together in, in kind of one location, at least, and to be supporting our community, those people that we really appreciate. Uh, man, thank you for your testimonies. Uh, how exciting. Uh, I, I tell you, I looked at my screen time. You know that, that that comes up on your phone, your screen time? Mine was up 33% this week. And uh, I think a lot of it was I was looking for those testimonies. Once they started popping up, those three-minute testimonies, some of you are longer than three minutes, that's, that's great. Uh, we just practiced our three-minute one in the fall uh, when we were going through the, the Zoom A project. Uh, but man, just however you give it, it was so exciting uh, to see uh, you bearing witness of how Jesus Christ has transformed your life. Please keep those coming. Those, those make my day. I, I check my phone all day just looking for those, those testimonies. So keep those coming online. We're going to keep looking for them on social media, uh, on our webpage, and then your webpage, and, and, and your, your Facebook, other places. So really cool stuff. Uh, thank you for your neighborhood ministry. I know many of you have been ministering to your neighbors. I know our family was out uh, handing out letters, just telling, telling our neighbors we care for them and we're praying for them. And if there's something we can do, and here's some scriptures that have, have encouraged us through this season. So, so thank you for your continued ministry. Open your Bibles to Acts 26. Acts 26, verses 9 through 18 is what we're going to be looking at today. A lot of times on Easter, we'll look at a passage that describes the resurrection, a passage that maybe teaches about the resurrection. Um, today, ah, man, that's God led me to this passage that displays the resurrection. We, we're actually going to be looking at the resurrected Jesus this morning, okay? A display of his resurrection power uh, after, after Jesus rose from the dead, and then he appeared to uh, many others. But in this passage, uh, Paul is, is talking about his own account of witnessing the resurrected Jesus. So we're going to begin in Acts 26, and I'm going to start reading in verse 9, okay? Acts 26, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection... I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this very purpose. To appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I'm going to go ahead and read one more verse. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient. To the heavenly vision. Let's pray together. Father, I, I ask you, Lord, to magnify the, the name of your son Jesus this morning. I pray, Father, that you would open eyes, open ears to see your glory, to hear the testimony of your magnificence. God, I pray that you would stir the hearts of those who hear the word this morning. God, that they might believe, that they might turn, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and and a place among those who are being sanctified by faith. God, I pray that you would make this happen this morning. God, you, you did it for the Apostle Paul. And God, I pray that you would do it for many who are listening this morning. Father, fill our hearts with great joy over your resurrection. Father, we pray that you would be with us through this difficult season. We pray, Father, that you would hold back the spread of this virus. We pray, Father, that we very soon might be able to to gather again. We ask, Father, for your grace upon those who are sick. We ask for your grace upon those who have suffered an economic collapse and, and are struggling. We pray for your provision. Father, help us to be the church during this, this season. God, help us to minister to our neighbors, to those in need. Father, send us. Send us. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so what you have here in this, this passage is the, the testimony of the Apostle Paul. Now, don't be confused. Paul and Saul are the same guy. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Greek name. At the beginning, he goes by Saul because he's mainly dealing with the Jews in, in Jerusalem. And then when he starts his, his kind of apostolic ministry, his, his missionary ministry to the, to the world, to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, he starts being called Paul. And so if I, if I mess up, Saul, Paul, they're the same guy. Okay, but what you have here is you have Paul giving his testimony to King Agrippa, okay? Now, what you need to know about Paul, what you need to know about Saul at this time, is that, that quite, it's quite possible there has never been a more aggressive opponent of Christianity than this guy, okay? He was completely convinced that Jesus was a fake, a fraud, a dead man. He, he was completely committed to disproving Christianity, to shutting down Christians, to, to, to completely eradicating it from, from, from his world. Okay, What you need to know about, about Saul is he's brilliant. If you've ever read the book of Romans, the book of Romans is a literary masterpiece of logical argument, okay? So, so Paul is a brilliant guy. He's highly educated. He is well-trained in, in, in the character and nature and commands of God. He knows his Old Testament like, like the back of his hand. And so what could win a guy like that? A guy who is totally convinced that Jesus is a fraud, a guy who has committed his life to, to putting down Christianity, what could convince a guy like that, a guy who's educated, a guy who's brilliant, a guy who's, any room he's in, he's the smartest guy in the room. What, what could convince that kind of guy 
to become a follower of Jesus? And the answer is an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. You see, meeting the resurrected Jesus would not only change Paul's mind, it would change his life. It would not only convince him of who Jesus was, it would capture and it would captivate his, his, his attention, his energies, his life until the day that he went home into glory. Because here's the reality. Jesus is alive, and that changes everything. Jesus is alive, and that changes absolutely everything. Here in Acts 26, what we find is that Paul is on trial. Uh, he, he's on trial. He's giving his testimony before King Agrippa, and Paul's testimony is anchored in the resurrection, okay? So if you follow Paul's, Paul's line of thought here, he, he's, he's, he's actually not trying to win his freedom with his testimony. He's actually trying to win Agrippa. And, and his testimony is anchored in the, in the resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ. If you'll notice in verse 8, the verse right before we started the passage, he, he leads his testimony with this. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? So Paul starts out saying, why, why, would, it, why would you think it's, it's impossible or incredible or unusual that God would raise the dead? That the God who spoke life into existence, that he would raise the dead. And then, then he jumps in to his testimony of encountering the resurrected Jesus. Now, now here's, here's my experience. My experience is the, the resurrection, it, it, it holds it all together. Uh, it, it, it is, it's the make or break point. I, I remember talking with, uh, having a conversation, several of us with a, a Muslim man on the other side of the world, and we'd hired this guy to kind of take us around to some Islamic holy sites to better understand uh, Islam, to better understand his culture, and, and uh, so throughout the day, we were sharing, and he was sharing, and so we would share scriptures, and then he would, he would kind of share something that the Quran said, and we, we would stare, share stories about from the Bible, and he would share, you know, some stories of, of their culture, and, and, and finally, we kind of came upon this, this, the, this, the central idea of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and he couldn't refute it, and, and there's really no way around it. And so, so finally he says this. This blew me away. He, he nonchalantly says, yeah, maybe he rose from the dead. Maybe he did. And, and it was at that point that I, that I realized that we weren't really having a sincere conversation. Like, like we weren't really having a, a, a real conversation because there is no nonchalantly maybe rose from the dead. He either rose from the dead and he is Lord and King and everything he said is, is, is ratified. It, it, it's confirmed. He either rose from the dead and he's Lord or he didn't and, and none of it matters. You see, if, if Jesus is alive and he is, then he is God and the Bible is true. I would recommend to you 1 Corinthians 15 for your, your reading today. Uh, that would be a great chapter to gather your family around and, and, and read together. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians 15, let me kind of lay out the chapter. Paul makes this brilliant case for the resurrection. And he starts off by saying, look, it, 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 some of you say that the dead are not raised. Some of you said there's no resurrection. That, that If the dead are not raised, then Jesus is not raised. And if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then nothing really matters. In fact, in verse 32, he says, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then man, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then all you have, all you have in our world for thousands of years is dead men. That's all you really have. Dead men who thought things, dead men who taught things, dead men who accomplished things, dead men who built things, and then they die. And that's it. 
If there is no resurrection, if Jesus Christ did not come out of that tomb, then all you've got in the, in the history of our world is dead people. And very soon you'll die. And don't kid yourself. Nothing you did or said or accomplished, if Christ is not raised, nothing you did, said, or accomplished will really ever matter if there's no resurrection. Oh, yeah, maybe some folks will remember you for a while. They'll, they'll think back fondly. They'll, they'll tell a funny story every once in a while. And then they'll die. Or, or, or maybe, maybe, maybe you'll have helped somebody. Maybe something you said or something you taught or, you know, you taught your kids to change the oil every 3,000 miles. And by golly, they change their oil every 3,000 miles. And then they die. If there is no resurrection, then ultimately nothing really matters. But if Jesus raised from the dead, and here's where the, the progress of 1 Corinthians 15 goes, if he raised from the dead, and if we can be joined, if we, if we, me, Jason Dirks, the sinner, if I can be joined, connected, tethered to the resurrection life of Jesus Christ, then everything, my friends, everything matters. Like Everything you do, the details of your life, they matter. They all are infused with incredible meaning. At the end of that chapter, this, this is how Paul closes out. This is how the chapter ends in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, therefore, so after he's, he's walked us through the resurrection, he's given us illustration of the resurrection, and, and, then, and then at the end of that chapter, he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. This is, this is verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor's never in vain. Do you hear that? He's like, man, the resurrection is true, and because of that, if you're joined to it, man, nothing you, you, you do will not matter. It will all matter. It will all matter forever. It will all matter eternally because Jesus is alive. And so what we see here in, in, in Acts 26 is Paul is, is he's, he's forming his testimony around the resurrection. And so, so as he begins to give his testimony, he begins to describe his encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And in verse 13, what we see about that, first of all, is that Jesus, not only is he alive, but he is gloriously alive. Okay, look at verse 13. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to me, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. What we see here is Jesus is, notice how I'm phrasing this, gloriously alive, okay? Not just alive, not certainly not barely alive, okay? This is not like when there's an earthquake or a natural disaster and the rescuers go through the rubble and, and they, they find an arm or they, find a, they, 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 they hear a voice, a whimper, a breathing, and they, they take a pulse and they're all really excited because there's a pulse and there's some shallow breathing. Not that kind of alive. Not even alive like you and I. Jesus is not less alive. He is much more alive. When, when we find the testimony of the scriptures, Jesus is gloriously alive. He is alive by a power that we cannot begin to wrap our minds around. Paul would later say in Philippians 3.10 that it's his life purpose that he might know this resurrection power. In Ephesians chapter 1, he prays for the church. He prays that, that the church might have open eyes to see in verse 19 what is the immeasurable Greatness, I love that, immeasurable. You can't measure it. You can't ever get to the end of it. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul would spend the rest of his life exploring the depths of this incredible resurrection power. 
when Jesus appears to Paul, he appears to him with a light, okay? A light that says it's brighter than the sun that blinds Paul, Saul, for three days. Now, what is that light? Well, let me take you to Revelation. In Revelation chapter five, oh, chapter 1, Revelation 1, we find John's testimony of his encounter with the resurrected Christ. And I, w- I want to read to you how John describes seeing Jesus, seeing the resurrected Jesus. He says in, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 14, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now, John's testimony lines up with Paul's. He sees the glorified Jesus Christ who's, who's blazing in his brightness, in his glory. And when Saul sees him, I want you to notice. Here, again, educated guy, brilliant guy. Nobody can argue with this guy, all right? Saul, the, the Jewish theologian, educated under Gamaliel. Saul, the Pharisee. Saul, the persecutor of Christians. Saul, the, the legalist, the expert of the law, the leader of Israel. I want you to notice, he gives no arguments to Jesus. Do you see that? There is no, hey, prove to me you're Jesus. There is no, well, hey, answer a few questions. There's none of that. There's none of that from this guy who is a hater of Christianity, who is a hater of Jesus. There's none of that. Believe it or not, we have, uh, it's a frequent occurrence at the church and particularly the shelter to run into people who claim to be Jesus. We actually had that encounter. Pastor Gary had that encounter this week. Um, and, and, And I'll tell you what didn't happen. Gary did not immediately believe the testimony, Okay. And, and, and the reason was it, was it was lacking in glory. It was lacking in, in, in any kind of immediate verification that this indeed was the resurrected Jesus. He had none of that. None of that at all. You see, that's a very different experience than what Saul had on the Damascus Road. But by the way, uh, this is a little rabbit trail, but it's interesting to me that it is a frequent occurrence that we run into people who claim to be Jesus. And that's interesting to me because I've never run into anybody who claimed to be Muhammad. I've never run into anybody who claimed to be Buddha or who claimed to be Joseph Smith or claimed to be the Dalai Lama. I've never heard any of that. And interesting also that, and maybe it's just me, but I don't have any experiences of hearing anybody curse using any of those other names. Muhammad and I've never heard anybody, you know, hit their hand with a hammer and cry out for the Dalai Lama. Uh, I've, I've never heard any of that. And the only, my only explanation is nobody, nobody counterfeits monopoly money, right? Uh, nobody counterfeits monopoly money. You, you know why? Because you only counterfeit the real thing. But anyway, that, that's a little side. No, but what, what, what I'm saying here is that for Saul, there is no debate, okay? Here is this guy staunchly convinced against Christianity, and he has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and there is no debate. There's no debate about Jesus' identification as the Messiah. No debate about his identification as the Son of God, as the King of Kings. He demands no proof of identification. There is no questioning about Jesus' origin, about his birth, about his death, about the Trinity. Uh, No challenges to his miracles, no critique of his teaching, no demanding of a sign, no request that Jesus produce any explanation. The only thing Saul can do is say, Lord. That's what he says. That's all he can do. 
Who are you, Lord? I, I know you're the Lord, but could I, could I, could I have a, you know, who, what is your name? And when Jesus says, my name is Jesus, there is no other disputing from Saul. Why? Because he has, he has met the resurrected Jesus. This whole movement in, in our culture of people saying things like, my Jesus wouldn't, you know, and, and they've got this custom Jesus, you know. Uh, evidently, they, they grew up in the generation of Build-A-Bear, and so they, they were doing the same thing with, with Jesus. They're, they're doing a Build-A-Jesus. They're, they're, they're Oklahoma people or buffet people, so they're, they're, they're buffet. They're, they, they've got a Jesus buffet. I'll, I'll take a little of this and that, and, and so my Jesus, and then they customize him, you know? My Jesus wouldn't send anybody to hell. My Jesus doesn't judge anybody. My, my Jesus doesn't care about anybody's sexual preference. My, my Jesus, you know, is happy with anybody's lifestyle, no matter what they choose. Here, here's a great Oklahoma favorite. My, my Jesus and me, we've got our own deal. You know, it's, it's as if they rejected Jesus' deal in the scriptures with the gospel, his death on the cross and resurrection for their behalf, and they're making their own deal. Well, let me, let me tell you, here's what I can't stop thinking about whenever someone is telling me that, is that you have not met Jesus. Because that's not the way you respond. Not when you meet the resurrected Jesus. Because you can't control him. You can't control a living Jesus. You can't lock him in your closet and bring him out when you need something. You, 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 can't, you can't form him into what you want him to be. You can't define him into what you want him to be. You can't simplify him down to a few rules that you're inclined to. You can't box him in to be tameable. You can't keep him from interfering with the rest of what you've got going on. You can't just have him do your bidding and keep him in the areas of, of your life that you want him to be. He is the living, blazing, glorious Jesus. And if you've met him, there is only one answer. And that's Lord. That's it. It's Lord. Yes, Lord. How can I serve you, Lord? So not only, number one, not only is Jesus gloriously alive, but number two, oh, this is so exciting. This is my favorite. In one way or another, every Easter I'm going to get to this because it's my favorite, okay? Not only is Jesus alive, but he is vitally connected to his people. Okay, not, not only is he alive, but, but there, is this, there is this living connection between Jesus and his followers and his people. Okay, look, look at verse 14. Okay, so he confronts Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Notice he does not say, why are you persecuting my people? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting you know, the believers in Damascus and in Jerusalem? No, he says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? We don't have any evidence that Paul, Saul, ever interacted with Jesus during his three-year earthly ministry. Uh, first time we see him on the scene in the, in the scriptures in Acts 8, as, as he's approving of, of the death of Stephen, Stephen, the stoning of Stephen. Yet it's very clear here, Jesus says, you are persecuting me, me. Why? Because there's this glorious truth that, that, that ought to make your heart sore, is that Jesus' people, every believer, everyone who's repented of their sins and put their faith in Christ and is following Christ, every believer is joined. They are tethered. They are united. They're in a living union to the resurrected life of Jesus. All right? Let, let me, let me, let's unpack that. Let's slow down here a bit and let's unpack that because you, you need to see that. That will make your Easter, okay? If you're a believer, you need to see this. Romans chapter 6, okay? Let's start here. Romans chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading in verse 4. Uh, we were buried 
therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now look at verse 5. For we, for if we have been united, great word, united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul describes the picture of baptism as a picture of our union with Jesus, that we've been joined to Jesus, joined to his death, joined to his burial, joined to his resurrection. His death is our death. His life, his resurrection is our resurrection. Let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Oh, this is so good. Ready? Ephesians 2, 5. Here we go. Uh, let's start in 4. Uh, I don't think we have it on the screen, but, but God being being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Now five, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You see that language? He made us alive. God made us alive. If you're a believer, this is true of you. He made you alive together with Christ, with Christ, joined to Christ, united with Christ, tethered to Christ, okay? By grace, you've been saved. Look at the next verse. And he raised us up with him and seated us. He's This is true in the future, but he's talking about a present reality. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We are joined to him. Look what Paul said in Philippians 3. Philippians 3, verse 9. He says, that I might be found in him, in him. See that negative? It's all through the scriptures. It's everywhere. Look in Ephesians 1. It's all through Ephesians 1. Okay, but but, uh, Philippians 3, 9. It says, and we may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Okay, so not not your own made-up righteousness. Not your own righteousness that, okay, I did this right thing and this good thing. Look, Jesus, look look at my scoreboard here. Look look at all that that I've done for you. See, I'm righteous because of, of these things, these works, these deeds, who I, no, 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 no. Paul says, I don't want that. That, that's a fake righteousness. That's a dead righteousness. He says, and I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I've got Jesus' righteousness in me. And maybe, maybe the best, my favorite verse on this, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So God... God makes Jesus to be sin, so, so our sin placed on him, he, he, he takes it in, into himself and dies for our sins, so that in him, in him, there's that key union phrase, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. All right, let me draw this out on the whiteboard. If you can't see this, go, go to our website. Uh, or my, my or I'm not, not our website, our, our Facebook, our Facebook page, my Facebook page. I, I put a picture of this up here. I, I've drawn this at least 500 times in my office. I, I, probably once a week at least, I draw some version of this out, okay? So what you have is you have man here, and, and, and he's, he's, he's a sinner, okay? So he's got this sin, and this sin keeps him from getting to God. He can't get to God, and God sees our, our predicament that we will never get to him, and so God sends his son, Jesus, okay, and, and Jesus comes, and, and, and two things I always write on the, on, the, on the arms of the cross. Jesus comes and lives a perfect life, and then he dies a substitutionary, I'm going to abbreviate that, substitutionary death 
okay, meaning a death in our place, all right? So he, he lives a perfect life. He dies a substitutionary death. Now, the big question is, how do I, how do I get connected to that, okay? And here's where, where the, the doctrine of union, union with Christ. You see, when I, when I put my faith, when I, when I put my faith, so we'll call this faith and repentance. Repentance is turning away from your sin. It's agreeing with God about your sin and turning from it, okay? Repentance is turning from your sin. Faith is embracing who Jesus is, that Jesus is everything he says he is, and he will do everything he says he'll do. We put our faith in Jesus. Faith and repentance connects us to the cross, all right? That's our connection to the cross. All right, now, now here's, here's where the beautiful thing happens, all right? So once we're connected to Jesus, all right, then, then our sin, my sin, my sin is transferred to Jesus, Okay? Pastor Andrew, in his sermon yesterday, he called this, he, I think he's quoting Martin Luther, called it the great exchange, right? My sin is, is put on Jesus, all right? He takes that, and then his perfect life, his righteousness, all right? Jesus' righteousness is put in me, all right? That, that, that's, that's, that's why the resurrection is so beautiful. That's why it's so exciting that I can be joined to Jesus. I can be joined to his resurrection life. You see, my friends, it is, it's only if Jesus is alive that this is exciting. It's not exciting to be joined to a dead man. It, it is not exciting to be tethered to a corpse. That, that's, that's, there's, nothing, there's nothing encouraging about that, but oh, the joys, oh, the jubilation, oh, the, the, the heights of glory that I, I can be, a sinner like me can be eternally connected to the resurrected Jesus Christ, to be joined to the one who is alive forevermore so that his death is my death and his life is my life. Isn't that beautiful? His life is my life. His eternal life is my eternal life. His everlasting destiny is my everlasting destiny. We sing this song, my favorite song. I think we sang it two weeks ago, even on the live stream, before the throne of God. And in the third verse, it says this great line, one with himself, I cannot die. My friends, I cannot tell you how, how encouraging, how joy producing that truth is that there is this resurrected Jesus who is this power plant of eternal life and I can be plugged in, joined to him forever. My daughter got married a month ago and lots of people prepared me for um, kind of the, you know, the, just the, the sadness, the, the transition of giving your, your, your daughter away. It was my, my first time to do that. And um, Lots of folks asked if I was going to be teared up, so I, I kind of felt obligated to get choked up, but I, I just I couldn't do it. Uh, I, I tried, um, but man, as I sat there in that in Capitol Hill Baptist Church, and 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 man, here's this this follower of Jesus, this this young man who loves my daughter and is a follower of Jesus and a disciple maker and a man filled with the Spirit of God, his groomsmen, all all believers, all praying over him all day, and the the bridesmaids with my daughter, you know, believers, followers of Christ, and and there we were, we stood together in that church, and we robustly sang before the throne of God, and we got to the end of verse 3, one with himself, I cannot die, my soul is purchased with his blood. 
My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. And man, I, I, I felt like I was caught up to the third heaven, you know? I, I forgot I was at the wedding. I forgot Anna was getting married. Now I was just thinking about being joined to Jesus. Forever I can't die. Death may take my body, but I'm joined to a higher power, to the resurrected Jesus Christ. My soul was bursting with this reality that Jesus is unstoppable, invincible, indomitable, insurmountable, forever the ruling, reigning king. And a guy like me could be joined to him. I just couldn't muster any sadness. I'll try harder next time, maybe when the sixth kid gets married, but I imagine I'll be too old and tired by then to be sad. So it just may not happen. The third thing we see. So number one, Jesus is gloriously alive. Number two, he is vitally connected to his people. And number three, the third thing we see here is that Jesus is revealing himself to men, to women, to students for a purpose, okay? There's a a problem. I want you to see the purposefulness here. Notice, Notice verse 16. Let's read it. So he says, but rise, Jesus says to Saul, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. If in your mind seeing the glory of the resurrected Jesus Christ has implications for your eternity, but no implications for your right now, I would just say I don't, I don't think you've seen him. I don't think you've seen him. If you've seen him, then you're sent. There, there just isn't a category of Christian who has seen the glory of the resurrected Jesus and responds to it in faith and then just does nothing. Jesus is incredibly clear with Paul he says, for this purpose, here's, here's the reason I came. Here's the reason I'm on the Damascus Road, Paul. Here's the reason I am, I am showing you myself, that you might be a servant and a witness. And then this, I'll focus in on this. This Depending on what Bible you have, some Bibles smooth it out, and, which is fine. Um, but but uh, I, I kind of enjoy the ones that leave it a little choppy because it is a little choppy and it's meant to be, okay? So, so uh, look, look at verse um, 16. So he says, I uh, appoint you a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me. That, that's a little awkward of a sentence, right? The things in which you have seen me and those in which I will appear to you. All right, now, now the, the reason that's a little choppy is, is Jesus is basically saying, Paul, you're going to be a witness to me, to, to what you've seen right here in me. Jesus is saying in me, what you've seen in me today. And then there's this, this what you're going to see. <laughs> I love that even more. You know, I mean, here Paul just saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. He's blinded by the light of his glory. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, Paul, there's more. I'm going to show you more of myself. I'm, I'm going to give you some more, Paul. There's more coming. There's more of me to see. All right, Lincoln, you knew I'd go to 2 Corinthians 3.18. Just, just, just get used to it. If, if I leave a legacy, it'll be, it'll be that I love this verse, okay? 2 Corinthians 3.18, it's the same with us. Okay, but Paul, Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face, that, that's what happens when you become a believer, you, you, you're, you're, you get to see, you, you're, you're seeing clearly with unveiled face, we're beholding, beholding is a word that means to see, we're beholding the glory of the Lord, and we're being transformed, so the more we see, the more we're changed, 
We're beholding glory, Lord. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The more we see, the more we're changed. Saul tells, or I'm sorry, Jesus tells Saul, I'm appointing you as a witness to the things you've seen. He says, I'm sending you. And look at verse 18, to open their eyes. You see, what, what, what Paul is describing here is that there is a spiritual seeing. There's a spiritual seeing. And there's, everybody starts out this world not seeing, okay? Now, what exactly is it that we're not seeing? And, and I, I would sum it up like this. I, I, would, I, would, I would give you my own testimony. Um, I grew up, uh, my, mom, my dad was saved when uh, he was uh, 28. I was eight. Um, I, I made some sort of profession of faith right after that, but it, I, I didn't see. I didn't see. I think I, I, I wanted to do the right thing. I, I heard what the church was saying. I heard stories about Jesus. I, I heard facts about Jesus. But the thing that was missing in my life was I did not see the value of Jesus. I did not see the worth of Jesus. I did not, I did not see the, the treasure that Jesus is. I'm so, so blessed by some of your testimonies this week that included that idea of treasure. Little, uh, what was it, little Eden Winstone talked about the pearl in the field, you know, this idea of treasure, okay? That, that spiritual scene, it's what people don't see. It, 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 a little bit after that, 2 Corinthians 3.18 verse, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the next chapter says, uh, talks about Satan being the god of this world, Satan, blinding the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. What they don't see is the glory of Jesus. You open up the Gospel of John, you read through it, you're going to find that Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He came to bring life and abundant life. He's the resurrection and the life. What do do all those names mean? They mean Jesus is the greatest treasure. He is the only one who can satisfy your soul. He's the only one who can fill you up. And in our brokenness, we don't see that. In my brokenness, for 18 years of my life, I did not see that. And so I treasured everything else. I'm so embarrassed to say, I I didn't value Jesus. I'm ashamed to say I I I felt he was boring. I thought my friends were interesting. I thought high school was interesting. I thought wrestling was interesting. I thought everything else was interesting, but not Jesus. I knew facts about Jesus, but he didn't captivate me. I didn't love him. I didn't treasure him. I didn't trust him. I was blind. And my friends, can you imagine the devastation of being blind to value? Let's just give give an easy illustration. What, What if you have some sort of disorder where you cannot rightly value things in this world? Right? If you have that disorder, I would like to talk to you today, okay? Because I have a 2003 Volkswagen with 150,000 miles in my driveway. It's got a radiator problem. I think the water pump is out. Anytime the engine is running, it's spurting gasoline out the back of it onto the pavement. Uh, and I, and I, I would like to sell you that for $80,000, okay? So if, if, if you have some sort of disorder where you, you can't judge value, then I've got, a, I've got an $80,000 deal for you, okay? Wouldn't it be terrible if you couldn't judge value? Well, my friends, that's exactly the case with most of the world spiritually. They're blind in the sense they can't see the value of Jesus. 
And so they run after all of this other stuff. And it leaves them empty again and again and again and again. And so Jesus tells Saul, I'm sending you, church. I'm sending you, he says, to open their eyes. I'm sending you to open their eyes. I I know that's a spiritual thing. I know the only the Holy Spirit can do that. But Jesus, it's clear we play a role in that. It's interesting that you, you find Paul praying those things, right? Ephesians 1:18, he's praying for the church, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. In other words, you got eyes in your heart. Paul, Paul prays for people. Paul speaks the truth to people. You should pray for people. You should speak the truth to people. That their eyes might be open to see the value, the glory of Jesus. And when they see, you know what they'll do? They'll turn. They'll turn. You see that? Verse, uh, what is 18? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. I love Sam, uh, Sam Patton's testimony this week. Have you, have you heard it? She talks about when, when she was born again, and she talked about like, like all of a sudden the world, you know, just it was like it was in color all of a sudden. You know, she saw everything different. I, I, I resonate with that. I remember that. When your eyes are open and you turn from darkness to light. Look at that. From the power of Satan. In other words, the dominion, the jurisdiction. That's what that word means. The jurisdiction of Satan to God. Oh, that you might, listen to what he says, that you might receive forgiveness. If you're honest about yourself, you know you're a sinner. You know you're broken. You know you're guilty. You know you've thought evil things. You've rebelled against God. You've not lived up to his righteousness. And sin condemns us. It accuses us. Many of you listening, you probably have the experience of being reminded again and again of your failure again and again of how you don't measure up. Okay, but here's the reality of of the gospel is that when you're joined to the resurrection Christ, that Jesus, he pays for your sins. They're paid for. They they don't have hold on you anymore. You, You in a real way are no longer guilty of them. You are righteous with Jesus' righteousness. I I love what Paul says in, in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. He says in verse 34, who is to condemn? Many of you probably have lots of people condemning you. But Paul says to the believers, who is there to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But look what he says. More than that, who was raised? Your risen Savior, the one who paid for your sins, is seated at the right hand of God. And look what it says. End of verse 38, who's interceding for you. You're not guilty. Your sins have been washed away. You're not condemned. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I would ask you this morning, I would ask you, do you see the value of the resurrected Jesus? I'm just praying right now that God would open your eyes to see that and that, and that you wouldn't resist that. Yeah, a, a phrase we didn't deal with was, was up in uh, verse... Um, Verse 14, Saul fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to him, Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. That, that's, that's a phrase that, that means, why, you know, why, why are you kicking against a sharp thing? I, I have to believe that as Paul stood and watched the stoning of Stephen and, and saw 
as Stephen is about to die, he looks up into heaven, you know, asks that God would forgive and, 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 and receive him into the kingdom. And, man, I, I have to believe that that worked on Paul's heart. There was conviction there. I have to believe that as Paul arrested believer after believer and as he saw the way they lived and he saw the hope that they had in them, I, I have to believe that Paul was convicted, but he was, he was kicking against that. He was resisting the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you, maybe some of you that this morning, you're resisting. And you've got this conviction. The Holy Spirit's been all over you about your sin. He's been showing you Jesus, but you, you're resisting. You, you got that pride. You're just like Paul. Why do you kick against the ghost? And I pray this morning, you would stop resisting. You would see that Jesus is everything you need. You would turn away from your sin. You'd be done with your sin. And I, just, I just remember May of 1990. I remember just being done with my sin. Just, man, I, God, I, I don't want to sin anymore. I don't, I don't want to rebel against you. I, I don't want to live in these chains. Be done with your sin, and you would turn, and you would embrace Jesus as your king. You'd put your faith in him. You would trust him as your Lord and Savior. Call out to him today. See that he's the greatest treasure. Trust him. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray, God, for, for a move of your spirit, God, to show us Jesus, show us his glory, show us his incredible character, his love, his majesty. Father, reveal your son this morning. And Father, I pray that you would draw men and women and students to yourself. God, that you'd bring repentance, that you'd bring faith. God, that you would enable them to call out to you right now. To call out and ask you to be their king. Call out in repentance and, and faith, telling you that they believe, that they trust you. If they're going to deny themselves and follow you, Father, bring people to yourself today. Jesus, we worship you. We worship a risen Savior. We praise you this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Church, thank you for gathering with us. Families, lead, lead in Christ. Lead, uh, lead your family in Christ. And uh, close out this time with prayer. And the discussion questions should be online. Hope to see you soon.